unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And as the viewers can see, a very special guest today. So I'm going to hand it over to you, David, and let you take it away. All righty. Well, just like Tom Hanks knows how to make movies, Kevin Rogers knows how to navigate comedy. Really. He spent years as a professional stand-up comedian sharing the stage with other great comics like Chris Rock and Billy Gardell and many others. Uh, you may be more familiar with Kevin as a superstar copywriter and copywriting educator, which is how he spends most of his working time now. He created Copy Chief, a community-based forum and training center for copywriters, and this was after he had reached the top echelon of pro copywriters himself. Kevin's also the Amazon best-selling author of the 60-second sales hook, where he shows how to use a proven joke formula to create a powerful marketing hook like that. And Kevin has many, many more credits to his name. But as you can see by now, Kevin is the perfect person to come on the show to talk about an increasingly high wire act for copywriters and anyone else in business who has a sense of humor. That is what you can get away with and what you should avoid at all costs when it comes to using jokes in the era of woke. We'll get into definitions and implications in just a minute, but first we need to get into this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims, and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. Kev, welcome. Thanks so much for coming back. It's great to see you. You too, my friend. Appreciate you having me back. Yeah. So I just want to say in case, you know, we've had people make comments before when our guests start ranting about their political leanings that, you know, I don't want politics. I want copywriting. And we usually stay away from anything cultural. But this mm -hmm. is an issue that there's been so much of a collision between copywriting, any kind of public communication, and yeah. this very... You said it so well in the conversation earlier, you know, dancing on the ledge of woke that we had to have it. And then, of course, you're the best person I know to talk to about it because you know comedy so well and you know copywriting so well. And I mean, let's start with sort of what has happened, you know, in the world of comedy for sure, but in, in the world of public conversations in general. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, the last few years, comedians couldn't go to college campuses because they'd get canceled. And the whole thing with Dave Chappelle on uh, Netflix recently. Could, could you bring from a, from a professional comedian's point of view and just from your own worldview, could you sort of bring us up to date on, on what has happened over the last five, 10 years? Best I can. I think that the main part of it is that every, just like we've all seen, I think there's a real fatigue around this now. David, right? It's just socially in people's personal lives. 
it, it was such a blood sport, you know, particularly at, at that last election and then the insurrection and, and, and just like, you know, brought to a shocking level of sort of madness that we really, I don't think any American thought they would experience in their life. Now it feels like just like the pandemic is in, in social distancing and those rules have fatigued people, the political blood sport has fatigued people. And so I do feel like it's coming back a little. I know in my personal life, I have more conversations with people who are just like, no matter where they are politically, no one likes this cancel culture anymore. They feel like that is just dangerous. And I heard uh, somebody say recently that the reason it's so dangerous beyond what we even realize, this idea of canceling someone for saying something that a, a, usually a small group of people don't like is that there's just no room for discourse anymore. You know, we used to have discussions and in, in, in humor was part of the discussion. Our brains work better when we're laughing. Here's a great scientific fact, David. When I was working on teaching some comedy frameworks, we came across this statistic. The human brain is never more uh, receptive and alert than right after a big laugh. That's great. So your guard is never lower and your attention is never higher. And if you just think of yourself... When you're sitting there cracking up with somebody, there's no resistance in your body. You just want to keep going. That's that's why fun conversations happen. It feels so good to laugh, and then it triggers something creative in your mind, and you say something, and you spent the whole dinner for an hour and a half just everybody sitting around cracking up. How many times have we done that with our buddies, with John and, and Stan and, and David and everybody, right? And so humor is an amazingly powerful tool that, I, I I I can't explain. I don't know if people know they're trying to steal it, but my favorite thing is when. So just to answer your question a little more directly before I go down rabbit holes, from my point of view, it was interesting because I did comedy. I pretty much ended my career in 1990, let's say eight, and when I was doing stand up, everybody could make fun of the president, any politics, and it would not divide the room. People, very rarely would you hear a hiss or anything like that. People would, if the joke was funny, they'd laugh. And celebrity, I guess, was different. We didn't take celebrity so seriously at that point. It's like, if you were a celebrity, you were there, you you asked for it. You you wanted this, you know? And now, and, and since Trump, and I say Trump directly because I it's the only time I've ever seen a political landscape like this. I come, I came back to comedy and all of a sudden, and David, I'm not a political comic. I'm not a political person, frankly. I, I, I am I am an interested observer. I am the Jack Kerouac of the world where I, I, I want to be around the madness. I'm not trying to create. I'm happy to be part of the, the party and the madness, but I'm kind of in the corner taking notes. I'm just fascinated about why people are thinking and acting the way they are, right? And so yeah. if I had a joke, so I, I, people could easily go my whole act and have no idea where I stand politically. But if you make a little offhanded remark that even gets next to a dog whistle or a talking point on one side or the other, instantly people start pouncing, hissing, booing. And you're just like, whoa, like you had to work to find that connection almost in, in what I just said. And so what that did was made comedians, entertainers, 
influencers online, whatever, choose a side. You know, it is very hard to ride the middle, I think even as a pundit, but but as an entertainer. And so I think you have two choices as a comedian these days. You you either have to go all in on one side or it, it stay out of it completely. And I think of it like having a fourth wall, right? We know this from theater. And, and it, you see this all the time on uh, social media now and people who do use humor, they create a fourth wall and it's a, it's a safe place. And when they break the fourth wall and say something people aren't expecting from them, I think that's when people look to pounce. And that's when we see people then like, oh my God, apologizing. I don't, I don't know what happened. I'm thinking of like, for instance, you know, cause like celebrities are stocked in the, in their, in the paparazzi and we have to guess, oh my God, like what were they talking about when they went for coffee and we're seeing this picture of them walking down Sunset Boulevard. Like I, it, they're probably, probably talking about nothing interesting, but, but they're celebrities. So we wonder what did he, what goes through these people's minds? And then they say something offhanded or something and it's something like, whoa, I wouldn't have thought they thought that. And it's, it's like there's this machine ready to say, hey, we get we got one. We got a talking point. Let's pounce and let's make these people apologize and let's show our power. Right. And so with comedians, you have to literally I think there's two rules to, to getting away with it. Well, I'm going to say three. Number one, you have to DN. G A F, right? D N G A F. Do not give a, and like truly look at Ben Settle does this really well. My friend Chris Wozakowski does this really well. It is like a science experiment to them. Ben Settle is a pretty mellow guy, but he yeah. ruffles feathers because he finds it really interesting. It's like an experiment for him. He, he you know. And he's very good at it, but he's committed to that. He just does not care if you if you don't agree. He's just more curious about how you got that way from a marketing perspective. Or, you, you, you know, you have to put up a fourth wall and keep it there. Now, the wall you create can be very inappropriate, but you have to do your probably avoid uh, any like declarative political statement or, you know, then you're dividing your audience in. I'll just last, say this last thing. The, the, the other weird thing about it, and I'm watching this happen to a, a good friend of mine who's a comedian. I'll just say who it is. It's Jim Brewer. Okay. Uh, if you know Jim. Jim, and I, I don't know if Jim is changing on purpose. I don't, I don't think. I think Jim is just sharing his opinions, and he didn't expect his opinions to plant him on one side or the other. And it's about vax. He's anti-vax. And people keep trying to call him the new conservative comedian. And he keeps coming out and making videos and goes, I'm not Democrat or Republican. I'm not smart enough to have a political debate. I don't study that stuff. I'm just telling you what I believe. I think it's dangerous for people to get in. And, and he does this thing and he kind of rants. But it almost feels like whether he wants it or not, he's going to have to just accept that the conservative right has embraced him and he could really cash in on that unless he just truly wants to go. I'm not doing it. I'm not I'm not going to be labeled. I'm not moving into your camp. But he probably at this point in his career, 
would make a lot more money. I mean, he could be speaking at the next uh, political conference. I mean, the, the right has no funny people. <laughs> <laughs> they're celebrity. They got Scott Bayo. I mean, you know, that's like when they're the top of the heap for them. That's their A-lister, you know? I yeah. mean, they, it's just, you know, oh, Dennis Miller, I guess they have. But anyway, yeah. point is, it's like you don't have a choice anymore if you care. And if you want to sort of defend your middle ground position, it's like society won't have it. They want to label you one or the other. Yeah, that's really weird on on a couple of fronts. I mean, it's it, it's it's really rough for comedians because that's not what they signed up for. You know, they're there to make people laugh, to people, and and obviously to be say stuff that's way out of the box. But right, the other thing that's that's weird about it is it uh, ties right into what we know as copywriters. I mean, if if you want to get somebody really emotionally juiced up you you set up um you polarize right you set up an us versus right. them but god right. we never we never assumed that all of society would would you know morph into that let's talk about copywriting though i mean you were saying when you're writing copy these days you you tend not to use humor but are there people who are using it that you could talk about yeah i got a few examples and you know what i tend to use it david is in video because it's a it's a performance I understand. Sure. And so I just I just made a video with the intent of humor and it seems to be resonating. The other day, I mean, it took my daughter shot it on my iPhone. It took us 15 minutes in a Walgreens, and it's funny. And then I edited it on my iPhone in another five minutes. You know. Wow. But wow. It, and that is I could show it if you want. I don't know if that works on on this platform. It's like 60 seconds long, but, or I can give it to you as a link as an example, but yeah. it was, all I was doing was sort of goofing around and improving with stuff in the store, you know, and I knew, I knew the end. You have to know the punchline with, this is the rule with any piece of writing, particularly with copy. What is the call to action? What is, that is to me, I call that the punchline. What's the punchline? What are we driving to here? And yeah. when you know that outcome, it's much easier to write the joke. You can kind of reverse engineer what kind of awareness you want people to have. So, man, I've never thought of that. And I've always been in line with you in terms of writing. You need to know where you're going. But of course, I mean, it makes so much sense. But thanks for that. That's that's a tip for every aspiring failed comedian, you know, like me. It's really good. Thank you. Yeah. And so, I, I want to share a formula if we have time too, that I think people will find interesting and useful. But a couple examples, one list that really surprises me, they're really committed to humor. And interestingly, because you don't see this often, they seem more commuted, committed to humor than selling in their emails. The call, I, it's called bird dogs and all they sell is shorts and, and joggers. Okay. But for the longest time, David, I forgot what does this company do? And so if they were saying selling sending me regular e-commerce emails, I hey buy our shorts or here's your 15% off, I'd go, I don't know, want those shorts. I just looked at them on Instagram once or something. But I'm like, I don't even know what these people say. I can't remember what is bird dog. Is that like an app or is it, you know? And I had to like, you know, pay attention to remember what the heck they sold. And so everything they do is cartoons. You'll love this because you're a cartoonist. You know, one premise, three different individual panels. 
Sometimes it's four panels telling a short story. And the, uh, let's see, can, can I share screen? Will that work? I don't know. I don't think we do it. I don't think that I have the ability to do the share screen. I'll just tell you what it says. Okay. So the, the subject line is catching up with Bert and Ernie Musk. You know what? what, Talk about out of nowhere. Right. And so it's Ernie Musk. Elon's Musk brother builds a robot and it's not just for having sex with. And there's a, (laughs) and there's a picture of what must be Ernie Musk and his robot. And they're like having beers. And then they show these pants. They're called Ernie Muss. And they, they name their pants these crazy things. And it's, you know, then it says, between SpaceX and Tesla, Elon Musk can't make time for his annoying brother, Ernie. That's when Ernie decided to build himself a robot friend, Bert. Ernie gave his robot a built-in Keurig so that he could brew fresh coffee anywhere. And then they see, you see the robot in the background, and it looks like he's whizzing the coffee into the cup. <laughs> and it says... He could have picked a better place for the coffee to come out. <laughs> and then it says, uh, Ernie now signs holiday cu- cards with love from Bert and Ernie. His family assumes Bert is a new human boyfriend. Frankly, Ernie does not have the heart to correct them. And again, th- this just has nothing to do with <laughs> how comfortable their shorts are. Any other selling point. There was another one recently where it was Bird Dogs, Great Moments in Sports History. And uh, let me see if I can find that one, because this one was even more daring. Okay, these joggers are in the Hall of Fame. All right, so what they call the first pair, Gabe Ruths. Half the pitcher, the babe was, but twice the catcher. And then they show the joggers in in a a give, and it says, Babe Ruth was well-known as the great Bambino. Gabe Ruth was well-known for converting a straight Filipino. Uh, Gabe would make the backup player sit on his lap between innings, that is where the term bench warmer comes from. <laughs> and so just the silly stuff. Gabe was disappointed during a, a visit to Candlestick Park in San Francisco. It was not the gay club he expected it to be. <laughs> and you're just going like, what? I mean, so, you know, if somebody wanted to, they could scream foul and say, this is homophobic. This is offensive. You're you're desecrating a, a, a loved sports figure. You're offending gay people. I, I guess they just don't care. I, you just get the impression that these guys are sitting around making each other laugh. And they're like, dude, you got to draw that up and send it. And that's their only marketing strategy. And I, I, to be honest, David, I don't know if it's effective or not, but I can't look away. You know, well, like it's, it's you know, got my attention. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing more and more. We had a guest on two or three episodes. He said, the you know, attention is more valuable than money these days. It's like, it's rarer. Mm-hmm. And so they got your attention. And maybe, well, ha- have you bought any um, bird dog uh, shorts? Or- I haven't. But that's a great question because the other day I keep thinking about this because it's so, so out of the loop. It's so out of the box that they keep doing this. And so it, it has it has a place in my mind now. And I thought to myself, would I, how would I feel about wearing their joggers and maybe having somebody else recognize that they're bird dogs? It'd probably be like a, a Jeep wave moment or a boat wave moment where it's like, 
I get that you have a sense of humor and nice joggers, bro, or whatever. I don't know what the outcome would be, but you do internalize. Do I want to be associated with this brand? Does that make me feel good or, or, or cool? So or if I look at this in my cold clinical laboratory of sales, I'd say, okay, Kev has just moved from attention to imagining using the product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so exactly. very slowly, they, they may be turning you into a customer. They may not, but one thing i would say is it sounds like a more promising sales strategy than a lot of people who totally misuse humor in my opinion not necessarily for offending people but just for making Mm -hmm. the humor so misdirecting of the attention that the product will never have a chance of getting so Good point. Right. It's just a, it's just a, you know, it's this uh, age of the pattern interrupt. Uh, I think of it as it's like that. that's one of those things, David, that we both saw like come into vogue and immediately get misunderstood and misused and bastardized, <laughs> like, you know, overnight, like Kern did it really well. And then everybody was just like, this is a, this is a platypus. What does a platypus have to do with you investing for the future? And you're like, what? Like, they don't, they don't you're just manipulating my attention now and I'm angry at you. I'm going to like, I'm going to vehemently not buy from you, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So humor can, you know, and it attempts it, you know, stealing attention for the wrong reason, definitely backfire. And then there's other people, Chris Orzakowski and Laura Belgray are probably the two more in our world. They're both known for as email copywriters. They're two people and I save their emails, not just for my file, but with the intent to read them. I will, and Cole Schaefer's the other one. He's not quite as funny. He's just a, a really, really good writer. And those are three people that I try not to, I'll go back for emails and spend 30 minutes reading them because I want to read these people like any author I like. Chris and Laura are both incredibly funny in writing. And I sit there and marvel at it. I don't know how they do it. Like they, they just have such, I, if I intend to do that, I can, but I think you also have to follow your instinct. It's their instinct to, to go that direction and to be funny. It's my instinct for whatever reason, when I write to inspire, I spend more time on the mental shifts and the perspectives for whatever reason. That's just my, my writing voice, I guess. If I challenge myself and I have a premise, I can sit down and, and, and get to, you know, make it funny. But I feel like you have to keep that muscle flexed if you're going to do it all the time. And, and it's just not my, my nature, oddly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Do, where do you want to go? Do you want me to share? I don't I know we were tight on time. So I want to. Yeah. Give I mean, most value I, I guess just, you know, in, in the spirit of in, inspiration and direction coaching, I mean, could you lay out a couple of principles? Sometimes some people. Or sometimes one person will just have this irresistible urge to put humor in their copy. What should they aim towards and what should they try to avoid at all costs? If they're bent on using humor? Yeah. Okay. The one thing I would say is just ask yourself why. You know, because there's a lot of places you can practice writing your humor and not have to potentially get yourself either in trouble or... You know, you know, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's good to be vulnerable, but you know how it is, David. When when somebody's not funny and they decide they're gonna try really hard to be funny, Carlton talks all the time about the the person 
when him and Halbert especially were doing, you know, their day long workshops and they were, you know, razzing each other the, the whole time. And there always inevitably be a guy in the crowd who got excited and goes, oh, I know how to be, become their friend. I'll go up and, and, and bust Gary's agates, you know? And, and he'd come up out of nowhere and just say something that just sounded mean. And, and they're like, what a jerk, you know? <laughs> it's like, because the guy doesn't get it, you know? And somebody who gets it would kind of hang around for a minute and maybe make sure there was some context to who they were and what you're relating to. And then you can maybe have a moment, but man, you, you know, and so if you're that, I don't know how people like that recognize that they're that kind of people, but if you might be that kind of person, I would say, just, just don't try the humor, you know, it, 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 it could really fall short. All, but at the same time, I'm all for people, you know, experimenting and, and, and looking to grow. I, I would just maybe not do it in a sales message. Here's a, here's a good way to do it. Try sharing something that made you laugh rather than trying to get a laugh. Okay. Because you're still in the performer seat and you're still having to execute a funny story. It just doesn't, you know, break down the fourth wall and share something that you found really funny and made you laugh. That ability to tell that story in the right sequence and land the punchline is the same as you writing an original joke and, and getting it across. The difference is you've told somebody, hey, I got a funny story for you. So you do get a little bit of the arms folded. Well, I'll, I'll decide if this is funny or not, but that's okay because even if they don't find it that funny, you're not guilty of them not even recognizing that you were trying to be funny. That's kind of the worst. And this happens online all the time. You know, you ever had to go back and explain like, you know, it's like, do I, do I add the, the crying emoji here to, or, 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 you know, it's like, that's my rule. It's like, if I feel like I got to in, include the laughing emoji, I'm like, this probably isn't a good enough joke. <laughs> Just <laughs> delete the whole damn comment because, you know, so that's one piece of advice. You know, let me toss in sort of along the same lines. I think I might've told you about my friend Cantu who ran the Holy City Zoo in San Francisco and used to yeah. hang out with him and he worked with speakers, professional speakers, not stand-up comedians, a lot, not even humorous, just speakers who want to add humor. And he said, you know, if you're if you're not trying to portray yourself as a comedian, but you're just telling a story that you think is funny, it doesn't matter if you bomb because if people don't laugh, they'll still think it was colorful. So I, I guess mm -hmm. it's like you, you don't have to walk the plank and and you know put everything on the line with your humor which is what a comedian does because that's what they do and they're good at it does that kind of fit in with what you just yeah said? i think it, yeah it's like you know you you can have moments without saying i'm gonna write a funny email and if people get the joke they might love it and if they don't i bombed you know put you know some some humorous context a, a parenthetical, an aside, or, you know, some little thing and see if people point it out and go, oh my God, that made me laugh. And you're right about comedians. It's, it, it's our job to be dangerous. One quick comment, you brought up the Chappelle thing, you know, Scott Galloway said an interesting thing about it that, you know, it is a comedian. Yes, he probably went too far with the transgender thing because he just went on and on and on about it. I think that was kind of the, I, I think the reason he caught so much backlash because he said such outrageous things in the past and somehow people got that you, know, you can't really attack. It's a joke. 
is because he showed a lot of vulnerability about how he felt about that issue. And he was almost apologizing in advance in, in some weird ways while still trying to be shocking. And to me, that was the difference. And he was already fighting with that group. And so it was sort of inevitable. Maybe he just did it for the, for the controversy too, you know, but it, it is our job. Is it a comedian's job to challenge conventional thinking, to go out there from Lenny Bruce on down to go out there and be daring. And when you meet comedians, you often expect them to be these extreme personalities with these ex extreme viewpoints. And they're usually not. Here's a great story. You know, Bobcat Goldthwait, oh, yeah. uh, you know, that, just the insane guy, he, he, a great comic. And so, when you would see him live, and I didn't know this until I worked with him, he'll he'll drop the, the crazy voice halfway through. And the show is like actually much better from there because he's an incredibly funny person. So I, I get called, I'm, I'm living in Chicago, and they say, hey, the club manager calls me and says, hey, Bobcat's flight is late. It's him and he's got his own middle. And I need, can you go on stage and start the show and just stay on stage until they get here? And I'm like, whew, all right. Well, yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully they get here. I can, I got 45 for you. I don't know beyond that. So I go up. So I don't meet uh, Bob at all. I'm on stage and they give me the cue. I think they skipped the middle at that point and said, just introduce Bobcat. So I, I give his intro there's a guy who's sitting just on the aisle and then there's three steps up to the stage and he's high-fiving. He high-fived me on the way up and he was just a little too excited to be there. Well, Bobcat's on his way to stage. The guy goes to high-five him. Bobcat grabs his wrist, pulls him from his chair up the three steps onto the stage and then kicks him back off of the stage before saying a single word. And then he oh, grabs the microphone and he starts screaming at the guy in that crazy voice. He says, don't high five me. I don't know you. We're not a basketball team. Don't high five. And, and he's, and the crowd's like shocked. And then they're like, woo. <laughs> and they go, they go crazy. And he goes on from there. And I'm, and, and so there were two shows that I'm sitting in the back and I'm watching this and I, I've never seen anything like this. And the manager comes over and says, Hey, uh, Hey, great set. He says, Hey, do you want to, you want to meet Bob after the show? I go, no. I go, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm like, uh, I said, he, he seems he seems really angry. I know his flight was late. I bet he's super stressed. He goes, oh, no, no, no. He goes, that's just, that's totally an act. He's the nicest guy ever. And so I, I go backstage and say, and he is just sitting there, him in his middle act, chilling, talking, you know, like it's a Sunday afternoon in the park. And I was like, wow. Like, and so you have to be fully committed to make the joke work, especially as a comedian. And so, you know, even though they got canceled or whatever for different reasons, you know, Louis C.K. is one of those comics. If you just look at his, con he didn't get a race for something he said on stage. He, he has some weird personal habits and, you know, understandably controversial. But if you look at his comedy, you talk about commitment to what he has to say and being the butt of the joke. And so, let me say this. This is how you get away with being what I would call it sort of like, I, I, I won't say uncancelable anymore, but usually you have to do something disgusting or horrible in your personal life as a comedian to get canceled. It shouldn't be something you said on stage because 
we must understand that's a performance. But here's how you get away with being super offensive all the time and, and, and somehow having it work. You have to be committed and truly not care whether people are hurt or not. You have to be actually funny. Like the joke has to work. And three is what I've noticed in acting in sitcoms, you have to be the ultimate stupid guy in the scene. You have to be the dumbest one in the room, right? Go back to what well, that's why the honeymooners worked. Ralph could get away with all this horror talking horrible to his wife and his friends because he was an idiot. Archie Bunker, you know, was an idiot, but he was also he had this like natural curiosity when he was he'd always ask. Let me ask you something, meathead. And, you know, and, and he would really, you can see this guy's trying to understand the world's changing around him and you could empathize with that. And so but he that's could get away commitment. That's just part of commitment in a way, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's like, that's like, you don't go through the fourth wall saying, no, folks, I'm a really nice guy. I was just kidding. It's like, you just, you just, that's when you get that. killed. When, right. when you start apologizing or going, hey, that's not really me. You're like, well, now this is no fun. And we might, and now we're offended. The newest one is Larry David. Uh, I was watching uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm recently. And I'm like, how do they get away with, you know, they're tackling, they went after, you know, uh, Me Too was a running joke. And <laughs> during the height of Me Too, Black Lives Matter, he's constantly putting himself in situations as uh, the most awkward Jewish white guy alive with with black dudes and or and and Wanda Sykes is always on telling him what an idiot is and he's a racist and he has a racist dog and all these things and he just doesn't see it he's like what are you, what are you talking about and and you notice the the line he always says right before he gets himself in a lot of trouble i notice this pattern he always says let me ask you something <laughs> <laughs> just like archie bunker right Exactly. Um, Just like Archie Bunker. And that's when I made that connection. I'm like, oh, that's the third ingredient. You have to be genuinely curious and make it clear to the audience. Like, I don't understand this. So if I get it wrong, it's not that I'm trying to be a, a horrible person. I'm truly un trying to understand. And I also happen to have no filter and I'm just offensive. <laughs> That's the winning combo. <laughs> well, on, on that note, we, we got to wrap We're going long, but okay. it was worth every minute of it. Let me, uh, Give people a couple links if you like more of Kev. Copychief.com for copywriters. You go there, just explore. It's a good community. And his podcast is Copy Chief Radio. You put the link in. It's copychief.com slash CCR, Copy Chief Radio. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you, there's, I often forget about this. If you search through my the podcast listings, there's one called How to Be You But Funny. And it's... <laughs> That's my mini course on how to use comedic frameworks in copywriting. So there is something like that that exists. I don't know. I can't even handle that idea. How to be me, but funny. I thought I was already. I think weird. that's why it didn't work, Dave. I think the, <laughs> I think the title was off-putting. <laughs> yeah, it is It is an ultimate insult. That's great. Exactly. Kevin, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your insights. I know the listeners will appreciate it. I appreciate you. And we, if all things go according to plan, in the next couple of weeks, we'll be having you back on the show, correct? Yes, sir. We're going to talk about my 10 parts of every, essential parts of every sales pitch and how to quickly get a first draft written. 
with your nice. Copy. All right. So until then, if you want to make sure that you don't miss that episode, make sure that you are subscribed to the Copywriters Podcast. You can find more episodes over at copywriterspodcast.com. And until next time, we will catch you later. Catch you later. Thanks, Kev. Thank you. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.